Principles of Economics, my complete guide to understanding economics, is now available in hardcover, audiobook, and ebook from safeddean.com, Amazon, and many more booksellers worldwide. And now, I am also teaching a course based on this book on my website, safeddean.com. Principles of Economics will run the whole academic year, from September to June, and will have a new lecture every two weeks, as well as weekly live online discussion seminars open to learners from all over the world and from all walks of life. Whether you're a student, a professional, or a retiree, you are making economic decisions every day, and this course will arm you with the wisdom of centuries of economists to improve your economic decision-making. You'll also get a free book of Principles of Economics if you sign up for the course. Go to safeddean.com and sign up now. The Bitcoin Standard Podcast is brought to you by Orange Pill App, the Bitcoin-only social network that connects you with high-signal Bitcoiners, events, and now merchants as well. If you're like me and can't stop talking about Bitcoin, you know how challenging it can be to talk to the no-coiners and how nice it is to talk to someone who gets you. With the Orange Pill app, you can find the Bitcoiners near you and they can replace the no-coiners in your life. You can organize events and meetups with local Bitcoiners and wherever you travel, you can meet up with local Bitcoiners all while being as anonymous as you like. So if you want to build your local network of Bitcoiners, find a Bitcoin meetup or merchants accepting Bitcoin, head over to orangepillapp.com to sign up or download the app from the App Store or Google Play Store and send me a DM so we can get connected. The Bitcoin Standard Podcast is brought to you by CoinKite. CoinKite are my favorite makers of Bitcoin hardware. They produce the legendary Open Dime, the first Bitcoin bearer asset, as well as the reliable cold card hardware wallet, the excellent stainless steel seed plates for storing your seed phrases, and the block clock. Now, CoinKite have produced the SATS card, a card the size of a credit card which can store Bitcoin and works great as a gift. CoinKite have just produced a limited edition gorgeous Bitcoin Standard SATS card, which carries the Bitcoin Standard logo, and you can get it from coinkite.shop slash Bitcoin Standard. Use the code Bitcoin Standard to get 5% off your purchase. This podcast is also brought to you by the Bitcoin Way, your professional Bitcoin IT team offering you personalized, secure, and comprehensive solutions for every step along your Bitcoin journey. The Bitcoin Way offer live concierge service to guide you with your Bitcoin cold storage, running your node, privacy best practices, inheritance planning, corporate strategy, and multi-sig solutions. They don't touch your coins, they guide you through the process of acquiring your coins and securing them. If you'd like to make your setup safer and more reliable, book a consult with them and see what they have to suggest. If you want to give someone the gift of Bitcoin, get them this professional service that will ensure they start off knowing exactly how to manage their coins and not lose them. Go to thebitcoinway.com and start Bitcoining more confidently. Welcome to the Bitcoin Standard Podcast Seminar. In today's uh, discussion, we are going to be discussing some of the uh, recent news in the Bitcoin space. Um, and uh, in particular, beginning with the um, recent round of number go up, what it tells us about Bitcoin's um, technology, how it's been working, and also what it means for Bitcoin skeptics and haters. And we're also going to be discussing the uh, announcement today by the US OCC, the US, US Office of the Controller of the Currency, on the use of uh, digital currencies for settlement between banks and how this relates to my uh, book, The Bitcoin Standard. So first of all, I wanted to begin with Rubini, Nouriel Rubini, who this week... Um, climbed out of his um, cave in order to inform the world with much glee that Bitcoin's price had tumbled by over 15% from 34 to 29,000 in 24 hours on a Sunday without any news. So let me share the tweet that he had here. Um, he's... Um, yeah, and, and he argues this is a total irrational bubble on a pseudo asset with zero intrinsic or fundamental value that is totally manipulated via fiat tethered daily issuance, massive pump and dump schemes and whales. And so it's quite amazing when you think about it that this guy uh, looks at the fact that this thing crashes to 29,000, which is uh, the level that is roughly 
four times where it was exactly one year ago. Um, he argues that this is a totally irrational bubble. And this is, this is in my mind, one of the uh, amazing ways in which the academic brain malfunctions, which is that when, when a normal intelligent human being, and then really, um, or not even intelligent, you know, even the average human being, when they think of something and they can't make sense of it, uh, they would likely conclude that, you know, I don't understand it. I'm not being able to uh, understand it properly. But education has the debilitating effect of creating people like Rubini who, uh, when they don't understand something, respond with <laughs> aggressive and uh, hostile uh, attack against it because, you know, clearly this thing is irrational and clearly it does not make sense. Clearly, it has zero, zero value. And clearly, nobody should be holding this because I can't make sense of it. And, you know, and if I, with all of my degrees and you know, fiat university jobs, if I cannot make sense of this thing, then clearly it's nothing. It's an amazing testament to the human mind that they, um, that they managed to convince themselves of these uh, kind of mental tricks. And um, you know, the interesting thing about it for me is how Rubini is not new to this game. If we look at um, this exact uh, sentiment has been something that Rubini has been practicing since April 2013, where he was saying in a, in a, in a tweet, he said, uh, he, he, I think he retweeted somebody who said, while, everybody, while everyone was focused on gold and silver, Bitcoin dropped another 40%, traded below $58. And so... There he is, you know, he knew about Bitcoin at $58. He could have bought a whole Bitcoin at $58. And today that whole Bitcoin uh, would have been worth uh, $29,000. would have crashed to a price of $29,000, which is, uh, funnily enough, exactly 500 times uh, the uh, number in this. So, you know, 58 times uh, 500 is... Uh, 29,000 and that's the price to which we uh, I hope I'm doing the math right uh, Pierre Rochard is listening he'll correct me um, I, I actually didn't prepare the math for this so it may have it may be my um, eyes are deceiving me but I presume that's correct in any case so this is um, th this irrational bubble that makes no sense to Rubini has now moved to crashing exactly 500 times higher uh, than uh, where it was. And he is still repeating the same record. You know, at 58, the fact that it dropped to $58 was, uh, in his mind, enough to discredit Bitcoin. The fact that it rose back up to 5,000 and then 10,000 and 15,000 and now 29 does not redeem it. The fact that it falls from 34 to 29 is in itself um, just um, discredits the entire um, enterprise. And in, in, in a sense, it, it's, it's quite amazing that uh, um, you would see an economist think in this way. The, the idea that the market is out there and Bitcoin is now grown to a market that is half a trillion dollars it is larger than um, it is larger than basically the size of the mar the market cap of Bitcoin is basically larger than all of the world's uh, banks and all of the world's currencies except uh, fifteen currencies. There are 15, Bitcoin is the sixteenth largest national currency in the world today, on its twelfth uh, birthday. Uh, yesterday was its twelfth birthday, so. The fact that Bitcoin has continued to succeed this much and continued to grow to this extent, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Rubini worked with the IMF and he's advised some of the um, countries who have currencies that are now smaller than the value of the uh, Bitcoin network. So you've got entire nation states that have been at the government money business for decades or centuries or um, even uh, even uh, maybe millennia 
whose currencies are worth less than the value of the Bitcoin network at this point. And so it's really at this point, I think my question to all the um, no coiners, if you look here, see these charts, Bitcoin basically at, uh, well, before this last crash, it had become bigger than, uh, well, actually, even after the crash, I think it's bigger than JP Morgan Chase, than ICBC, than Bank of America, than um, all of the world's banks. And it is bigger than all but 15 of the world's currencies. There are only 15 national currencies that are bigger than Bitcoin. So that's really not a mean achievement. And in my mind, it brings to focus the really important question here, which is Bitcoin's price is not a speculative bubble. It's not an irrelevant metric in a speculative bubble. Bitcoin's price is basically the most important metric for Bitcoin's success. There's really no more important metric for what um, Bitcoin uh, is doing, no better measure for Bitcoin's success than whether its price is going up or down. Really, this is, um, you know, a lot of people like to discuss it as if it's a, uh, a lot of people like to say, well, you know, the price doesn't matter. and This is about the technology. The only technology here is the price. The only technology in Bitcoin is the price. Like, well, okay, it's not the only technology, but it's it's an essential component without which the whole thing falls apart. The price needs to be there. There, ha- there has to be a market price for Bitcoin or Bitcoin doesn't matter. And if there is a market price, the more... Uh, the higher the market price, the more secure the network from purely operational um, security aspect uh, of you. You want the network to be more secure. If you want the network to be more secure, then you enjoy the fact that the price is higher. But also from an economic factor, from an economic view, in my mind, Bitcoin's adoption, the best measure of Bitcoin adoption is the the total size of cash balances that exist in Bitcoin, which is effectively the um, which is effectively the uh, which is effectively all the all the things that are being held by people, um, all, all the cash balances held by people in Bitcoin. So everybody in the world that is holding Bitcoin. Um, is what is giving it value. And the more people hold Bitcoin, the more the value goes up. And this is essentially what uh, money is in the market. Money is held as a cash balance. It's something that um, um, Keynesian economists and macroeconomists don't discuss. Like Cash balances are, are not something that is important because in their uh, bizarre world, people should hold government bonds and only a small amount of money in a checking account and so, you know, you don't hold a lot of money in a checking account and, or in a saving account because these things don't offer good returns and you don't want your cash to fail to keep up with inflation. And so in order to keep up with inflation, you put your money in the government uh, bonds. And so, you know, inflation is not a problem. You just buy government bonds. At least that's how the uh, playbook had ran for years. But... Um, uh, Bitcoin is offering an alternative to all of these financial assets in your portfolio. And you can't say that the price doesn't matter. You can't just, you know, strut around like a little child on the playground, uh, throwing a tantrum and saying, and putting your ears in your, uh, putting your fingers in your ears and saying, I don't want to hear it. The price doesn't matter. The price doesn't matter. I mean, of course you can. And, and, you know, Krugman and Rubini and all of these people are proof positive that, you know, you can build a career out of throwing tantrums and uh, closing your ears. Um, and, and and refusing to listen to any uh, logic. But um, people who have been watching this, you know, people who think with an open mind cannot just dismiss the fact that you've got a currency this big where people are willingly holding so much value. You know, we've got millionaires and billionaires all over the world deciding to hold it. And we've got normal people from all over the world holding it and holding significant quantities. So this isn't, you know, in... in, in um, this isn't, we're no longer in 2012, 2013, when it was a small market cap and a few people here and there holding a small amount of money. Um, now it's much bigger. There's a total amount of about $500 billion of uh, nominal value out there that somebody is holding. You know, somebody has private keys worth, um, or everybody has private keys worth half a trillion dollars. 
and they're not selling them. Some of them are lost, but not all of them are lost. And uh, we can argue about how much is lost, but it doesn't ultimately matter because, um, you know, whether it's 500 or 400, there's clearly hundreds of billions of dollars of value that's already parked in um in Bitcoin all over the world. And I think this is this is enormously important as an economic development because it is a form of asset that is available for people from all over the world without, um, without um, need to resort to, um, to, to government money and to central banks. It is an alternative that exists out there for central banks. And it's... Uh, it's uh, it's it's incredible the fact that it grows and you can't just ignore the price as i was tweeting earlier as you see in this tweet uh, at a price under one dollar a bit bitcoin is a completely inconsequential nothing it's a network that's worth 20 million dollars it's a toy um it's a toy worth it's a toy network worth 20 million dollars it's like digital beanie babies at that point if uh, you know y- you could maybe see promise in the monetary properties or uh, so on but you can't ask people to take it seriously when it is at that size um the fact that it has achieved that level of adoption just means that you know you've got uh, 20 million nerds around the world who each have $1 or um 20 nerds around the world who each have $1 million roughly or somewhere in between, which is not that uh, difficult to achieve and doesn't really give much uh, confidence in the network. Um, but at a price of a bill, uh, of $1 million, Bitcoin is worth more than all the US dollar money supply, the M1 supply. If Bitcoin is worth $1 million, then the total market value of all the Bitcoin held by anybody in the world is larger than total market value of all the dollars held by anybody, which is a lot, which is not a joke. And the fact that Bitcoin can achieve that is um, by any measure, by any reasonable measure, it is a success. There's no way that if you told Rubini in 2013, you told them that, let's say in uh, 2030, Bitcoin is going to be larger than the US dollar. If that were the case, would you admit that Bitcoin succeeds? Uh, Bitcoin is a success. There is no way that he would say, well, who knows? You know, he can be delusional. Let's not uh, put reasonable words in his mouth. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't, uh, so he really doesn't inspire confidence. But by any reasonable measure, growing to a larger size than the US dollar is an impressive achievement. Um, and doing it as 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 an emergent market that is on the free market, as an emergent network on the free market, doesn't even have anybody controlling it, is truly uh, incredible. So, you know, um, and and it doesn't even if you don't think one million is impressive enough. Well, you know, at one hundred million dollars, if the price of a Bitcoin is one hundred million dollars, then most likely there. These are the death throes of the dollar and the dollar has essentially become worthless and Bitcoin is the only or predominant money in the world. So the the price of Bitcoin cannot continue to go up infinitely without... without Bitcoin succeeding. (laughs) I think this is how I would phrase it. If the price keeps going up, it can't, Bitcoin can't fail because eventually it just takes over all investable assets and uh, it becomes larger than everything out there. So there comes a point where it has to succeed based on price. And so my challenge to all the no coiners, all the, well, I shouldn't say no coiners. I'd say the, the, the anti-coiners, the, the people who really, really are hateful of Bitcoin and don't want it to succeed. My challenge for them is to name a price at which they would say that Bitcoin is failing. At, at what price would they be able to do that? And I've um, asked this of Peter Schiff, of course, in the debate that I had with him. You can find it somewhere on uh, Twitter, on uh, YouTube. Um, I've, I've had a debate with him where, but it was, um, you know, it, it, it's it's clear he's well set on not making sense of the world, and he doesn't want to get to this point that it is a market value, and 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 he's clearly trying to really um, uh, bend over backwards in order to try and accommodate this with an Austrian framework. Um, but ultimately, I think the reason that he's playing this bitter no-coiner is that he's doing it as an advertisement for his um, gold business because he gets so much more uh, 
publicity and attention because of this um, than he would uh, otherwise. He's just constantly repeating the same thing about Bitcoin. Well, yeah, Bitcoin went up to 5,000, but now, uh, uh, you know, it's um, going to crash. Well, it doesn't crash, goes up to 10, and then he says the same thing. And it doesn't, and then it doesn't matter. Whatever the number is, he's always willing to come up and say, well, it doesn't matter, and it's going to crash, and it's a bubble. And so all of these people really need to either set up a price, uh, either set a price or just shut up. There's no, you can't continue to talk about Bitcoin without um, without accepting that there's a price at which it has started working. And, you know, in 2015, Paul Krugman himself, let's, uh, let's, let's listen to what he had to say about this. This is him in 2015. The syllabus for my new online economics course, Principles of Economics, is now available on safedean.com. The course will take place over 18 lectures, each based on one chapter from my new book, Principles of Economics, which will be available for free as an ebook for everyone registering for the course. Lectures will be released once every two weeks on Mondays, starting on the 25th of September, 2023, and will be available in video and audio format. Live discussion seminars will be held once a week on Thursdays at alternating time slots, 12 hours apart, to ensure learners can attend from all over the world. I'm happy to announce that I have set up my new publishing house and online bookstore, The Safe House, which will be publishing and delivering the best Bitcoin and Austrian economics books worldwide in hardcover, audiobook, and ebook formats. Go to thesafehouse.com to buy my latest book, Principles of Economics, as well as the Fiat Standard and the Bitcoin Standard. And now I'm also publishing Fiat Food, Matthew Lishak's amazing investigation into how inflation ruined our diet and health. And I'm also publishing Lynn Alden's Broken Money, her masterful exploration of the failures of the global financial system and how Bitcoin fixes it. This is a Bitcoiner's bookshop, so the books are printed in beautiful cloth hardcover made to last with an ice-colored dust jacket on top. Go to thesafehouse.com and get yours now. Um, Paul, what is your opinion of disruptive digital currencies such as Bitcoin? Do they in any way wow. refute the idea that a currency must be backed by a government? Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that was... I mean, actually, at this point, uh, uh, Bitcoin is not looking too good. Uh, and uh, uh, the, I, I mean, there, money is a, is, a, is a pretty amazing thing, right? That for the most part, why, do, why, does a, why does a piece of green paper with a... This is the typical Keynesian uh, socialist uh, hallucination stuff about money that, you know, it's just if we all wish hard enough... And then it it it's uh, it magically gives it value. That president had value, and it's because other people think it has value and circulates. And we like, however, there is an anchor for our dollar bills, which is not gold. It is the fact that you can use it to pay taxes. And then you have somebody try and create Bitcoin, which is there's nothing in the end. It's supposed to be purely self fulfilling prophecy, purely levitating on on itself, um, which is not impossible but it's kind of unlikely and i have to say i think i think a lot of what has happened bitcoin looks like like a, it really is a a, a bubble in, in in multiple senses it's it's a little bit of it's it's a tech apparently it's a technically sweet solution to a problem but it's not clear that that problem is one that that has much economic relevance uh certainly not a reason to hold that currency um it is a uh, there's a lot of libertarian ideology uh about it and uh and you know i think some people were looking for something and and they bought into it and literally bought literally bought into it for a while but it's now it's collapsed quite a way so now the idea that that there's something fundamental i mean if you if you're looking for the idea that that a currency doesn't really have to be something physical it can be something that's virtual that's the system we already have you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, and if you want it to be, uh, yeah. I want a way to make payments um, electronically, that's, you know, credit cards. I mean, and so exactly what it is that this <laughs> thing is supposed to be doing that we don't already mostly do. I mean, there are technical differences, but pretty wild. I mean, yeah, we, we already have an amazingly abstract, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the um, 
sorry, I'm going on too much, but you know, the monetary base, we have uh, you know, $4 trillion now in monetary base, and it consists of nothing but ones and zeros. I mean, so what, you know, the idea that now, oh, I've got this brilliant new thing, it's going to be right, digital. The internet. We're already there, you know, yeah. Sad, really, to listen to people uh, <laughs> say this stuff. But, um, you know, he clearly doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. He's, he's wondering why we would need it. And he thinks that the interesting thing about it is the fact that it is uh, digital. And it is not that. That is not the interesting thing about it. Um, he's correct in that current monetary fiat money is digital. It is largely digital. It's uh, vast majority of it is digital. So the fact that Bitcoin is digital is really not what's interesting here. What's interesting is that it is automated. What's interesting is that it is run by proof of work rather than human judgment. What's interesting is that it is arrived at by consensus. There's no coercion. It's purely consensus. It's 100% peaceful consensus. That's what's different about it. Not that it is digital. Anybody can make a digital currency. Um, you know, uh, you can make one on your own Excel sheet. Uh, just set up a Google Excel sheet with you and your friends and uh, um, make a new digital currency on it. And there you go. Um, it, it, the digital currency is not the interesting aspect. The aspect is that we've managed to make a currency that's digital work without having to have an authority that is in charge and without having to expand the supply. So the supply is fixed and it doesn't grow. So the supply is fixed, it doesn't grow, and that allows it to hold value much better over time. And that's what's interesting about it. And that's what's driving the price up. So the interesting thing here for people like Krugman to address is at what price would you admit that Bitcoin works? There has to be a price because at $100 million to a Bitcoin, that's it. You know, the, the, the dollar is most likely done. Um, um, so th there will come a point at which the price has to make Bitcoin succeed. And these people just simply refuse to get it. And they, they continue to think of the number of the price of Bitcoin. And it is, it is, I think, an indictment of just how little they think of markets in that they don't think of the number as meaning anything. Um, they think of, just like, you know, in the stock market, they think that uh, government can just make number go up by um, clicking the print button. And just like, you know, we can control unemployment and inflation and all of these things, they can all be managed and manipulated by government. Um, they they think that the market for Bitcoin is just fake numbers. It's it's just a number out there, but it is a real market where there's nobody manipulating. There's nobody able to make more supply or influence the price. There's nobody able to force anybody to accept it. So everybody accepts it consensually. And that's, that's I think, the um, angle that they continue to miss. And of course, I'm not surprised that they miss it because you know they, they're massively incentivized uh, to miss it. Uh, because let's face it, you know, these are um, economists that um, function and work with the uh, fiat system and within the fiat system and to promote the fiat system. And so they're extremely motivated to believe and hold uh, strong uh, faith in the fiat system. So I'm, I'm not holding my breath, but uh, I, th I thought it would be uh, worth mentioning that. Um, Ken, you had something to say? No, anybody else want to add anything on this? I'm going through the comments. Yeah, and of course, uh, Max is saying they're uh, comparing 2021 to 2017. So for them, you know, well, it got to 20 in 2017. So now four years later, it got to 30. So what's the difference? It's just numbers. But it's uh, it, it's not just numbers. It means much more value stored in Bitcoin and held by people all over the world. And that's not a joke. That's a, that, that's a market choice. I mean, ultimately, I think the, the, the mind-blowing thing about Bitcoin is that as soon as it exists, as soon as Bitcoin starts working and it exists, the fact that the token itself has a market value is itself a... Uh, the, 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 the token, the value of the token itself is essentially a a market in the uh, monetization of Bitcoin. It's essentially the market pricing in the monetization of Bitcoin. And so 
basically it just becomes uh, you know your opinion the fact that bitcoin doesn't work or shouldn't work or that it's worthless it's only relevant as a market opinion you're just saying that bitcoin is overpriced so you're basically short bitcoin you're saying bitcoin at 30000 or at 58 dollars or at 17 cents is not worth it it's going to drop and it's not worth this amount it's going to keep dropping further if this is how you think about it then that's just the market position but bitcoin's genius is that by making a market in it then effectively it allows people to bet on it and in effect by betting on it by creating the betting market on this you're simply just providing the liquidity that allows for the monetization to take place that's really i think the the the, the genius here that um a, a lot of the people you know satoshi's line was it might make sense to get some just in case it catches on that's really the uh, the way it is and so effectively you want to get some just because maybe if others choose to monetize it and then it catches on and then the fire is lit and the fire catches on you know you want to get yourself some of that fire you want to be uh, at the forefront of it because otherwise you know everybody else will have all the fun so um, that's that's really the, the incredible thing about how Bitcoin functions in, in, in that it makes the market value of the currency a mechanism for people to express their faith in the currency. So the more people hear about Bitcoin and start to value it and want to give their um, some of their balance sheet to it, the more they are effectively voting for it in the market for currencies, in the market for things to be held in the balance sheet, in the market for value storage for the future. And so the more they do that, the more they, the more the Bitcoin is winning effectively in this uh, market. And that's really the only way to think about it um, because it's, it, 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 it's a fight out there for all of the world's um, investors' uh, portfolios. And uh, Bitcoin, the higher the price of Bitcoin goes up, that's the only way the Bitcoin adoption grows. It's effectively how we measure Bitcoin adoption. Bitcoin price is how we measure Bitcoin adoption because it refers to how much Bitcoin cash balances are out there. Max? Uh, all right. Uh, I just realized that when I wrote the comment on the chat, I, I made a mistake. The thing is, what I'm, what I'm witness, witnessing now is that people are comparing December 2017 with December 2020 because the prices are, are similar. And there is a major mistake. We should compare December 2017 with December 2021. We have to wait and see because there is the having factor. We just crossed the all-time high just the other day. So this comparison is absolutely nonsense. It ignores one of the core properties of Bitcoin. It's not just about the price alone. It's the whole mechanism, right? Yeah, the fact that it has these four-year cycles is absolutely, uh, I think, a vital part of it. And of course, it's why that no coiners are always beginning all of their charts from the all-time high. You know, all their comparisons and all their charts always begin from the all-time high. So, they're, uh, you know, from December 2017 until now, it's Bitcoin has been down because it's, oh, it's it's until a few months ago, a few weeks ago, Bitcoin is still nowhere near where it was on December 2017. So this is a bubble and it's going to burst. It's unsustainable. It's going to burst. It's going to keep crashing. But they don't get it that, uh, in fact, it's much more a distribution and, and it's much more money being held by many more people all over the world for longer periods of time. So in, in December, we only had this amount of money for a few weeks and a few months. But um, now it's at um, it, it's being held up as a price for a much longer period, over $10,000. We've held up that period for a much longer time. So there's a lot more holders that are holding this kind of um, this asset, essentially. You want to say something, Max? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I made another mistake now. <laughs> Uh, I guess the, the the correct comparison would be December 2016 
with yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, too. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I I made a mistake. Anyway, they are comparing the two tops. That's it. Yeah. Well, exactly. Of course, that's how they. Um, and 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 it's just basically a broken record that can't be stopped because no matter what happens with Bitcoin, they can always say that it's a bubble, and they can always, you know, if it's rising, if it's exceeded the all-time high then Bitcoin is a bubble and it's going to crash. And if it has dropped behind the all-time high, you know, we saw now Rubini is celebrating 29K. There's, these people have absolutely no perspective on time and uh, long-term views. You know, the fact that it dropped over the last two days is, uh, <laughs> is uh, essentially erases all of the rises that happened before it because he's got the attention span of a goldfish, basically. Um, because, you know, in the long run, we're all dead, as all these Keynesians <laughs> always remind us. So it's, it's, it's only about the last, uh, it's only about the last day and the last couple of days. So it's, it's, it's a broken record. It's, it's pointless. And these people are ridiculous. Which uh, brings us to um, uh, another bit of success and uh, drama for um, the uh, Bitcoin haters, which is today's announcement by the um, UF, uh, by the US Office of the Controller of the Currency that they are going to um, they're going to allow US banks to, to use public blockchains and dollar stable coins as a settlement infrastructure in the US financial system. And this, I think, is a hugely interesting uh, development. Let me share the tweet that I saw just before we started recording from Jeremy Allaire. And so effectively, uh, banks can use public chains as infrastructure similar to SWIFT, ACH, Fedwire, and stablecoins as electronic stored value which I think is, is is a pretty big deal. And I think it's a pretty big deal first initially because of, um, for selfish reasons, I'll just say that this is another thing in which my book, my book's analysis is vindicated. My book was one of the first that uh, offered a statement of um, the idea that Bitcoin is not a payment network and it's not, a it's not even necessarily a consumer network. Bitcoin is much more like a settlement network because it doesn't have the ability to scale um, enough for each individual to be able to put all of their transactions on chain. And so I looked at the economics of that in my book, The Bitcoin Standard, and I argue, you know, um, you, Bitcoin does a few thousand transactions a day. If it were to scale to the level of transactions that Visa does, then you, you're not talking about the scaling problem where we need to 10x or 100x. You're talking about scaling problem where we're going to need to do maybe a million x compared to current capacity. And also, where given Bitcoin's very complicated uh, consensus mechanism and all of that stuff, the ability to arrive at consensus becomes just almost unworkable at that level of transactions because if you have much bigger blocks, then it becomes much harder to uh, have distribution, uh, have um, a decentralized system. And that was really a key, a key point in the Bitcoin standard, which is that in order for Bitcoin to function, it needs to be decentralized. If it's decentralized, it has to have a low price for um, people to be able to run a node. Running a node in Bitcoin is what keeps Bitcoin decentralized. The reason the supply is hard to change is because a lot of people all over the world run their own nodes. And those people, they get to decide the monetary policy of the Bitcoin that they want to use. So... Um, because of this, in my mind, Bitcoin, if it were to be geared for efficiency and volume of transactions, then it would require an enormous amount of um, increase in capacity, which would require running a node to become much more expensive, which would lead to centralization. So if you wanted to make Bitcoin efficient for payments, the best thing you would do is you would centralize Bitcoin and turn it into Visa. But we already have Visa, and we already have PayPal, and we already have Venmo, and we already have all of these payment systems, and um, they can work 
um, on top of Bitcoin. That's really the key thing. What Bitcoin does is far more similar to large value settlement transactions. That's what Bitcoin really is able to do. And so um, we see this, and, and I think the office of the controller of the currency is, is absolutely correct in this way of looking at it because banks are not going to be, um, as an initial step at least, you know, banks are um, not going to be using the Bitcoin network in order to clear individual payments. You, they're not going to have you uh, get your paycheck um, delivered to you in uh, in uh, in in Bitcoin and have your coffee sent to your neighbor using the Bitcoin network. They're going to. Um, they're going to be using this for settlement. They're going to be using it for the back end. So it's not a replacement for Visa. It's not a replacement for uh, MasterCard or uh, PayPal. It's a replacement for Swift or it's a competitor for Swift, ACH, and Fedwire. And so that's that, that I think um, is very much uh, up the alley of what I was arguing in my book. And I'm glad to see it headed in that direction. And I think this is a huge development for Bitcoin because now banks can, and, and financial institutions in general, can um, can accelerate their acceptance of uh, Bitcoin because, and their ability to hold Bitcoin because there's far less ambiguity about the fact that you can uh, use this infrastructure at this point. So I think this is enormous, 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 uh, enormously important news. And I think it's, uh, it's quite interesting. And um, this is, of course, an excellent measure of Bitcoin success. The fact that this open source software is now um, uh, treated on par with, uh, with the... Uh, with with the infrastructure of the uh, um, uh, Federal Reserve banking system is, I, I, I think, an astounding achievement. Um, the fact that the legal system, the, the, the regulatory bodies of the government come to accept it as being an acceptable uh, substitute or um, complement, if you want, for government uh, supervised and government built and operated systems, I think is, is, is quite um, outstanding. And it, um, uh, it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's an incredible mark of success. Um, but of course, the, um, the altcoiners or the, the, the dollar uh, coin uh, enthusiasts and the bitter no coiners continue to find ways of trying to portray this stuff in a negative perspective. It's actually quite amazing. And so somebody, um, some anonymous account uh, posted this response uh, to me on Twitter when I posted this. I, I posted the uh, announcement on Twitter and saying that uh, this is similar to what I had discussed in my book. So somebody responds with the quote from economist David Andolfato. And uh, he quote tweets uh, the announcement and says, Call me crazy, but I still cannot fathom why one would want to perform simple debit credit operations on a spreadsheet using the accounted services provided by miners playing a non-cooperative game with each other. And so, you know, again, it's the same kind of mentality that somebody like Nouriel Roubini has, which is, this doesn't make sense to me, so I'm going to just poke fun at it and call it stupid. Because ultimately, I can get away with it because I have a fake job that pays me a salary regardless of what I do because I work in fiat. You know, there is no way that you can be wrong. There is no way that you could face consequences when you hold a job um, in, uh, in, in fiat academia. So these economists um, like to make jokes about this. And so George Selgin, of course, responds and says, well, when you put it that way. And these two economists, you know, they've been following Bitcoin around uh, for quite a while. And have offered nothing but this kind of, um, you know, sitting there and just saying, well, it's not going to work because uh, uh, this doesn't make sense to me and I have a lot of degrees. And if it doesn't make sense to me, then it's clearly not going to work. And you should uh, listen to people who have more degrees than you. And essentially, it's just this endless stream of finding things to, to be negative about without really caring to think about this question with a clear mind. It's just, how do I 
misunderstand it. So you would think like if this was if this was a startup, like if if Bitcoin was a startup and it had managed to achieve this um, five hundred billion dollar market cap, uh, or at least five hundred billion dollars assets under management, let's say, and it is operating a banking rails that is out there competing with uh, Fedwire and ACH and SWIFT. If you had a startup actually managed to pull this off, <laughs> you know, would people go around and say, why is this being done like that? Why, you know, no, I think, you know, unless you're financed by the competitor of the startup, um, you would just simply think, well, that's a startup that succeeded. Like, you know, Apple has become a big company and they go around and they produce things and people buy it. Uh, there is an insistence on misunderstanding Bitcoin, on, on, on trying to find a way to portray it as if it's being negative. And so, um, you know, they, this guy posted this for me and I responded um, simply, you know, it, it, why would one want to perform single debit credit operations of spreadsheet using the accounting services provided by miners playing a non-cooperative game with one another? It's very simple because miners can't collude to inflate the supply. Whereas a government-protected cartel of banks can. They also can hire a mountain of midwit economists to keep DDoSing everyone from understanding what's going on by asking irrelevant, snarky, profound-sounding questions like this. This is really what um, fiat economists contribute to the discussion these days. It's a bunch of people looking around there and just standing there and saying, you know, but hang on a second. If Bitcoin is so smart, why doesn't it make sense to me on this thing? And, you know, all congratulating each other for uh, finding something that uh, doesn't make sense in uh, Bitcoin for them, rather than trying to humbly ask themselves, why am I wrong? And could I be wrong? How could I be wrong? What could I say in order to um, revise this and make it uh, less wrong? Um, or beginning by, let's say, setting a price. So we don't see that, of course. We continue to see this kind of um, refusal to dismiss it, to, to think about it. And in this example, you know, it, it shows just how much they refuse to think about the value proposition of it. Well, yeah, actually, the fact that the miners are playing a non-cooperative game with each other is why we know that they can't easily collude. Whereas we know that in the only alternative that is available, it's very easy for um, banks to collude. It's it, They have an oligopoly. It is protected monopoly. It is a protected oligopoly which isn't open to free market competition. Uh, there is a monopoly for the currency. And um, it is possible for people who use the currency to have different preferences about what happens to the currency than the people who operate it. And that, um, you know, in, in that power struggle, the people who use the currency have to um, take whatever the people who operate the currency do, more or less. There's, 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 no, there's no market alternative that you can just uh, get into. So um, Bitcoin brings this free market competition to the system, but these people don't like it. It's sad, but what are you going to do? This is really how um, no coiners are going to be always. I think it's it's amazing that there are so many people in the fiat academic system that are motivated for Bitcoin to fail that they continue to sling so much mud at it. But uh, fortunately, Bitcoin thrives on uh, whatever people throw at it. Um, anybody have any thoughts on this? It's quite amusing to see that many of those denials of reality coincide with the ones that criticize praxeology. They say, well, it's not connected to reality, it's just abstraction, a priori reasoning, and so on. And they're the ones sticking to whatever they have been believing for years, and they just refuse to see reality. That's true. It's amazing. It really is. <laughs> you'd think people who are empirical uh, who are always beating up on the Austrians for not being empirical enough you know you'd think they'd offer some kind of testable hypothesis for their um, for their ideas but unfortunately you can't really see that happening um, now one other interesting um, aspect of this is 
now that the USOC said banks use public blockchains and dollar stable coins, if they're going to start saying that, well, now the word public blockchain has taken on sig extreme significance. What exactly is a public blockchain? What counts as uh, public blockchains? Because uh, it's one thing to go around and say our blockchain is public and decentralized when you're, um, you know, you're saying it to a bunch of people on Twitter who are pumping and dumping your uh, coin. Um, it's one other thing when central banks and banks are considering using your public blockchain for settling payments amongst one another then you know the bar to clear in order to set in order to call yourself a public blockchain becomes a uh, becomes much higher so it'll be very interesting to see how this develops because i think um i mean to be fair at this point it, it's very clear that the institutional push in cryptocurrencies has been almost entirely about bitcoin um so no corporations are talking about using um, shitcoins or holding on to shitcoins. They're experimenting with blockchain technology, but the, I, but you know, nobody's holding um, shitcoins on the balance sheet. I mean, nobody is a big word. I'm sure there's somebody somewhere, um, but nobody in nobody outside of the uh, shitcoin industrial complex, I would say, holds shitcoins on their balance sheet. Um, so. It could be that you know Bitcoin continues to take the lead in this, and then uh, shitcoins don't get much um, action in this regard. But if they do, I can imagine an entire can of worms being opened in terms of um, litigation and um, regulators going after people because if the thing is being used as a public blockchain, and then um, you know you get a hack and your friends want to roll back the blockchain. Uh, in order to cancel the hack, as we've seen uh, certain shitcoins do. If this does end up happening and, you know, you end up uh, <laughs> accidentally canceling half a billion dollars of Bank of America holdings with your hard fork, <laughs> there will be, I think, more serious implications than just doing this uh, for you and your friends uh, on Twitter. It's. Uh, I think it's. A, it's. It's. Um, it. It opens up a big can of worm for stable coins and for bitcoins, and for shitcoins to prove that they are decentralized. I think Bitcoin effectively is the gold standard here, or the Bitcoin standard, to borrow a phrase, is the is the Bitcoin standard of decentralization in that. It's clearly the most decentralized. Nobody controls it. Nobody can change anything. Nobody can hard fork it. Nobody can uh, change consensus rules. Nobody can change the money supply. It's it's the most decentralized and the most uh, secure. And uh, arguably, in my mind, it is the only one that's decentralized. So the rest now are going to be put to the test of A, are you actually decentralized? And B, so can you um, legally pass for being decentralized and can you actually handle the heat of running a settlement network when it's not decentralized if it is not decentralized in other words you know you're going to reach points where you have to make decisions and these decisions will involve uh, winners and losers and so if people are in this network able to make decisions then it's going to you know if they have the ability to make decisions then that makes their situation tenuous so I think it's it's going to be interesting to watch the um, uh, the entire uh, space uh, basically uh, start become taking start getting taken more seriously because it's going to put a lot of them under uh, the test. Um, stable coins, I think. I mean, ultimately, it's fun to say stable coins are decentralized, but, um, and this is where I disagree with the, the guy making this thread that, you know, they're saying this is a huge win for stable coins. It, it could be, but it could also be the uh, poisoned chalice, if you want, in that uh, this ends up putting them on the spot, forcing them to make expensive decisions and purchases and um putting them in um, politically uh, sensitive uh, 
having to make political sensitive decisions that will then um, uh, carry ramifications. So, you know, that there will be a transaction by um, criminals or terrorists or whatever on uh, one of these stable coins and, you know, courts want you to confiscate the uh, material. So, you know, do you not confiscate it when you have the ability to confiscate it or to, to the payment? If you don't confiscate it, then, you know, you could become legally liable. So, but then if you confiscate it, then is it really decentralized? And is it a public blockchain? Um, it'll be interesting to see. In general, the way that I look at it, um, I don't particularly think that stable coins um, can make a lot of sense in the long run because, uh, you know, if you want to offer payments in the dollar, then you're going to have to be holding a bunch of dollars and you're going to have to need access to the dollar payment system. You're going to need access to the dollar rails. And, other, you know, you have to hold dollars in order to make a, uh, in order to make a market in your uh, currency. And so, um, it, basically, all stablecoins can, in my mind, be cut off from the banking trail. And it could take something drastic, you know, shutting down large banks or prosecuting large banks. But I think um, when, when people talk about the kind of scenarios that are needed to take down Bitcoin, I think it's, uh, if you apply that kind of uh, analysis toward stablecoins, They'll be, uh, it'll be far easier to take them down. But we'll see. I'm, uh, I'm open to the possibility that they continue to proliferate as a kind of cryptographic way of uh, settling dollar payments. Um, but the political problem I think that they run into ultimately is, you know, they're going to be um, limited in what they can do by the fact that they are connected to the dollar system. And then in the Bitcoin world, they're going to be limited by the fact that um, they cannot offer number go up technology. <laughs> Basically, the stable coins are stuck to the dollar and um, that doesn't appreciate as much as Bitcoin. So um, it doesn't quite offer many advantages. I can see the, the, the use cases for many people, but um, I'm not very optimistic about the chances in the long run. I think um, it, it might be the case that um, this kind of law, uh, or the, well, this is not a law, this is a guidance, but this kind of guidance would um, actually lead to more, um, uh, more Bitcoin win, basically, uh, because it just uh, makes Bitcoin become more, uh, um, more recognized. The only one that's reliable, that's neutral, that's uh, stable, technically, um, so just like everything that happens under the sun, this too is good for Bitcoin. And aren't we glad for that? <laughs> yeah. What do you guys think? I just wonder, um, back to the question of why people don't like Bitcoin or don't want to like Bitcoin because it seems like it's more that they don't want to, people don't want it to, to succeed. And, but I wonder if it has to do with their sense of time um, that in Keynesian economics or the way the system has been for so long, it works the same way over and over and over and over. And in that sense, it's pretty reliable. Um, if you're, if you know to expect it to behave that way, and um, as we know, change is happening faster and faster and the faster, you know, like really faster. And Bitcoin, the change that's happening within Bitcoin is, 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 is really fast. And maybe they just can't keep up with, like they don't trust um, how quickly that, that's that it's changing. You know, that the, the, the um, NGU, that it, it can't sustain, that can't be possible. It has to be a bubble because the time frame doesn't work. I guess Tone Vase was talking about this too a little bit. And I, I don't know, I don't really claim to understand it, except that one of his objections, right, was he wanted to see a time frame 
for Bitcoin to stabilize before he could trust it. Did I get that right? I'm not so sure when he was mentioning that. I think he's uh, pretty much uh, already uh, very much taken the uh, orange pill and trust. Well, yeah, I think the model. Yeah, for sure. But I, I thought he had talked about it time frame. But anyway, I think the people who object to it want to see it. It's like, oh, this is happening too fast. This can't happen this fast. But things are happening this fast and they're happening faster all the time. So get with a program. Yeah. Um, yeah, and absolutely. And I think a very important point that Michael Saylor makes, which um, I, I, I think is, is one of the very profound um additions that he has given to the um, discussion around uh, Bitcoin is, um, uh, um, wait, which one was it? I forgot. Oh, crap. Uh, when he was with us in class, in the seminar? I think so. Wait, what, what was your point? How do I lose my train of thought? Well, I just, it's just the time that things are happening so fast. Yes, and the network stuff. Yes, yes. Up with that, the increase of yes. speed, because even as the speed is getting faster, the speed of the speed is getting faster. Yeah, yeah. The the insight was the one that you, that I wanted to bring up is that Bitcoin has reached a certain size of a network where it is um, it's essentially unbeatable. It's reached the point where these networks. I just simply can't be stopped. And I think he he, he wrote this in a, in a book, which he mentioned in the seminar when he came and um, spoke here a few weeks ago, and he's going to be back in a couple of weeks uh, for another one. He spoke about um, just, how, you know, the, the, the theory of behind his book, The Mobile Wave, was that all of these physical services are going to get de- um, essentially um, de-physicalized, uh, Turned away from turned from being physical into being digital, and they're going to be put into um, you know these apps. These apps are going to take away a big part of the physical experience of what is going on in your life. And he said that these forces are unstoppable because the growth in productivity that they offer over the alternative is enormous, and it's just going to continue to grow. And once one of these has reached the threshold of one hundred billion dollars in market value being held in this network, once this, once this network is viewed to be worth. $100 billion, and it is much bigger than its uh, second competitor, nearest competitor, then it's game over. You know, that's that network is just going to continue to grow and eat more into the physical infrastructure that it replaces because the productivity increases are enormous. And it's just going to uh, continue to attract more people because the productivity gain from joining it will absolutely trump um, the... Um, angry rhetoric uh, uh, from uh, sitting on the sidelines. And so, um, in, you know, he mentions the example of Amazon and Apple, you know, the fact that Apple could get rid of so much out of your life by putting it on a phone and Amazon can get rid of so much of your shopping by putting it on a website where you just have it delivered home. And um, Netflix can get rid of so much of your entertainment uh, infrastructure instead of you having to go to a cinema or a theater or a DVD place or all of that, um, you just click a button and watch at home. So all of these things uh, um, and, and Facebook uh, has dematerialized a lot of our social life. Where you know instead of having to go and meet people IRL, um, you um, sit in your uh, bug pod and uh, have a social life online. Um, and for better or worse. Uh, it's uh, it, it grows because this is just a far more efficient way of doing it. I mean, of course, uh, you know, um, we can complain about those things, but the reality is that, you know, social media allows people to um, meet a much larger number of people to interact, uh, to sift through one another and to sort each other out and find interests, common interests and so on. It's just uh, people end up using it because it offers these things in a, in a uh, much more efficient way. And Bitcoin's like that. Bitcoin takes away uh, central banks and uh, payment settlement networks and all of these um, gigantic physical infrastructure, literal physical infrastructure. There are banks and payment networks and so on, and um, takes away the, the human judgment element of it. Instead of having committees out there deciding who gets to issue loans and who does not, and at what interest rate and 
what the money supply is. Instead of having all of that, you end up with just having um, individuals actually um, taking charge of um, the network through nodes running all over the world and mining infrastructure that's decentralized. It's just an infinitely more efficient way of doing things. And once it crossed the $100 billion mark, and um, that's really been the case in Bitcoin's uh, case, that has been the case for Bitcoin for, um, for pretty much most of the last four years. I, I think we dropped below the $100 billion mark um, in the four years, but it spent most of the last four years, I would say, over the $100, million, over the $100 billion mark, and now is at around 500 I think once this has happened, um, I, I think Sailor is really onto something very profound in that the lock-in effect of having a network of this magnitude displacing something physical just makes it... Um, just makes it almost inevitable and this is uh this this was his thesis and his book and this is why bitcoin clicked so much with him and this is i think um one of the one of the more one of the most interesting things that he's uh, uh lenses that really that he's given us to analyze and understand bitcoin Anybody else have any other questions or comments to add today? All right, well, um, thank you guys for joining. Uh, it was fun. And uh, for Thursday's seminar, we're going to have, um, we're going to be discussing my book, Principles of Economics. I've written three chapters that have been sent out to subscribers so far, and I urge you to, um, subscribe and uh, if you're listening and you're not subscribed I urge you to subscribe and start reading the chapters it's very fun and I'm going to be discussing uh, the first three chapters in uh, our seminar on Thursday so those of you who have read it please uh, come please send me questions beforehand uh, comments and uh, come prepared with more questions so we can discuss it on uh, th in Thursday's seminar and then next Monday in next Monday seminar, we're going to have Preston Fish join us to talk more Bitcoin. Uh, so um, thank you for joining and I will see you then.